I'm going to start a little different this morning. Um, I came across this reading. Um, it, uh, well, some of you ladies may understand this, some of you not. Here we go. It's entitled, How to Bake a Cake. So, first of all, you light the oven, you get out utensils and ingredients, you remove blocks and toys, autos from the table, you grease the pan, and you crack the nuts. Then you measure two cups of flour, remove Johnny's hands from the flour, wash flour off him, remeasure flour. You put flour, baking powder, and salt in the sifter. Get dustpan and brush up all the pieces of the bowl Johnny knocked on the floor. You get another bowl. Uh, Answer the doorbell. You return to the kitchen. Remove Johnny's hands from the bowl. Wash Johnny. Answer the phone. Return. Remove one-fourth inch of salt from the greasing pan. Look for Johnny, grease another pan, answer the telephone, return to kitchen and find Johnny, remove his hands from the bowl, take up the greasing pan and find layers of nutshells in it, head for Johnny who flees, knock the bowl off the table, wash kitchen floor, tables, walls, dishes, and then you call a baker and lie down. I don't know if that's true for you. Um, another one that I was given this week, I find it interesting. It was a, mother, a letter written by a mother, and she wrote a college professor, uh, a president of the college, about her dear little son. She said, Dear sir, my son has been accepted for admission to your college, and soon he'll be leaving me. I am asking that you give your personal attention to the selection of his roommate. I want to be sure that his roommate is not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-color jokes or smokes or drinks or chases after girls. I hope you'll understand why I'm appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home. Well except for the three years he was in the Marine Corps. One of the things we think about when we're talking about mothers is that, that they care for children. They want to see them move from infancy to maturity. They want to see them move from, uh, from kind of that selfishness, everything I want, to being a person who gives to others and learns and works and all of those kind of things. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how actually the person we have been studying for these last couple of months, Peter, is very much like a mother that way. If you follow his journey, he was kind of this kind of cocky, arrogant young guy who, who thought a lot about himself, but God moved in his life and changed him. If you're visiting with us, we have been watching the life of the Apostle Peter, a young fisherman from Galilee who Jesus called 
and mentored and discipled and, and brought to full maturity. And then we watched him as Jesus ascended and Peter was given the calling of leading the early church. He was asked to do things that probably surprised him. He was asked to, to deepen his faith and in, in areas that he probably had never imagined he would. He also discipled many, many people and told them about the stories of Jesus. As we enter this sermon this morning, we have come to a significant point. We have looked at the Gospels and we have looked at the story of Jesus, uh, Peter through the Gospels in the book of Acts. Then we have moved over to 1 Peter, which 1 Peter was the first writings of, of, of Apostle Peter. He's senior now. He's an older man, um, probably in Rome. And uh, he's writing this early church a letter. But today we move to a second letter. It's called the second, P second Peter, and it is distinctly different than the first Peter. In fact, one of the things that I found out is it's one of the most unread books in the whole New Testament. And so for these next three or four weeks, we're going to be looking at second Peter. Now, I, I want to just, for some of you who like this kind of stuff, I want to give you some really quick pictures that, that when he first wrote 1 Peter, he was writing to a specific group in northern Turkey, probably a group that he had helped plant the churches with. And so he was talking to them about how to live the Christian faith. He started with this incredible message of salvation. Now, as you finished it last week, you may have noticed that he mentioned that Silas, Silvanus, was, was, was the man who helped him write it. And what he meant by that is in those days they would hire a secretary or, uh, to, to, to write as Peter would talk and then they would clean up the language or the grammar or all of those kind of things and then put the letter together and write, ready it to be mailed. Silas was the guy who did that. And we, we actually met Silas back in the book of Acts. He also mentions John Mark. And if you want a story of a kid who kind of messed up and, 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 and kind of failed in life and then the Lord pulled back and brought into an amazing way, you study the, the life of John Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark and, and uh, was a companion for both Paul and Peter. But as we move to 2 Peter, there's some significant differences He's, instead of writing to a specific churches, group of churches, he writes a more general letter for all of us, all of us believers. And, and, and he writes it, uh, mentioning that this was his second letter. It's written probably about a year, maybe a year and a half after this first letter. Something's been going on around him and in him. And, and, and he's, he's starting to realize there are some things he needs to talk about to the church about. Interestingly, as I've been going through this and preparing this, let me say this really clearly. This letter was written for us. It, it, it's speaking to issues in your life and my life and issues in our world. Like, I, I, I'm amazed at. And I think you're going to find lots of things about it. Now, it's interesting. It's written in a different style. Silas is no longer there. 
And most, most scholars think that's, that, that he, Peter wrote this in his own hand. So his Greek isn't as good, and, and his, his grammar isn't as good, and, 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 and yet there's something incredibly personal about it. A year or so after this event, this letter, Peter's going to be crucified. He's going to watch his wife die first upon a cross, and then he is going to die upon the cross. Um, as Christ predicted in John's gospel, he will die as a martyr at the hands of Nero. He will die sometime before or after, we don't quite know, after Paul has, has died as well. So these are his last words, and they are significant. There's a difference between the first letter and the second letter that I want you to be aware of. The first letter talks about um, persecution and suffering that comes from outside the church into the church. Otherwise, Christians are being persecuted and attacked. But as we get to the second letter, Peter's more concerned about a reality he's starting to see in the church that there are false teachers and false teaching being brought into the church and Christians are being led away sheep by wolves. And you're going to find there's a lot of things he talks about that are incredibly similar to today. Now, I want to actually give you a picture, um, uh, two pictures actually, that are going to echo throughout the whole, whole letter. It's a small letter, three chapters. But it, it's going to echo throughout the whole, and you'll see it because it'll help you give you a kind of a picture or a structure of what Peter is talking about. It's, it's just, it's a picture of a house. And, and uh, this doesn't come from me. It comes from a, 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 a pastor out of England named David Pawson, and I, I've kind of adapted it a little bit. But this is the picture he's, he talks about. He says, he says if, if the Christian faith is, is this house, you enter this house by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, we dealt with that in 1 Peter chapter 1. We also dealt with that in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2 when Peter does this ama amazing uh, sermon uh, at Pentecost. And, and he includes three dynamics. He says, first of all, you, you need to repent of your sin. You need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and, and, uh, and express sorrow for your defiant sin. Secondly, you need to be baptized. And thirdly, you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you. Once that takes place, you've entered the kingdom. You've entered the, 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 the family of God. You are a believer, and, and, and it is all based on faith in Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. But as Peter starts to develop this story through, through your, your journey and my journey, he starts to talk about that's not the end game. See, some people think, I prayed the prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, like, what else is there? I'll wait to go to heaven. That's kind of what I talk about. And, 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 and Peter is saying, no, 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 no. There's so much more that you have to apply and live to in your life today. He kind of uses a picture of what I would want to call a staircase. And this staircase focuses on, on, on a fact that you need to be growing in your faith today. That God calls you, that, that you have entered the family, but now you need to move from infancy to maturity. And, and, and so as we enter the passage this morning, he is going to take you and, and, and explain to you what it means to move from infancy spiritually to maturity spiritually. Now, 
This is something that many, of, many people don't actually focus about. How do you grow? How do you become mature in your faith? And he's, Peter's going to talk to us about that. But that's chapter one of Peter, and we're going to spend two weeks there. But secondly, as we move into chapter two, then he starts to talk about the fact that false teachers and false teaching has entered the church. Now, I got to tell you, we are living in a world filled with false teaching. There's, there's something, and we'll get into this in, in a couple weeks, there's something that, that's called ideology that's moved into our culture and our world. Saying up is, up is down and down is up and black is white and, 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 and trying to change everything around. They are taking terms and trying to redefine them and, and, and they are trying to say, well, this is truth when really this is truth. And, and we're going to get into that pretty intensely as we start to look at this because this, this false teaching has entered the church of Jesus Christ. I've been watching different denominations and news. I was watching a documentary this week about the Methodist churches in the States, and they're literally exploding apart. 18,000 churches left the denomination this last year because of false teaching. They've said, well, we won't put up with it, and they've left where the false teaching has, has reigned. This is impacting every Christian church today and it's impacting us and people are believing things that the Bible never said and God never said. In fact, they're opposites. Do you remember the garden when Satan is there and he's talking to Eve and he tries to manipulate and he tries to twist and he tries to distort? That's what's happening to you and I today. And Peter says, I want to protect you. I want to talk to you about that. So chapter 1, he's going to be looking at, at, at the area of maturity. Chapter 2, he's going to be looking at the area of false teaching and deception. And then chapter 3, he's going to answer a question that's burning in all the Christians' minds and hearts. How come Jesus hasn't returned? I don't know where you're with that, but the Bible clearly says that Jesus said as, as he departed, then he will come back and he will gather all of the church unto himself. And the question that the Christians in that day we're asking, especially as persecution was starting to rise, so where is he? How come he hasn't come? We, we've been praying about that. We've been expecting him. There, there are signs and, 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 and things going on that, that suggest it's really close, but where is he? And false teachers had entered that discussion as well. So we're going to get to that chapter in chapter 3. But I, I want to take you back to, first of all, what Peter's talking about today about this whole area of false teaching and, 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 um, and the fact that you and I need to grow and know what's really true in a world full of lies. So what does it mean for you to grow spiritually? What does it mean for you as, as, as an individual to wrestle with various issues in your life and grow in a way that pleases God? So Peter tries to answer that question. Now, it's interesting how he starts. Because when, when he starts, he, he looks at you and I and he says kind of two interesting things that you kind of need to dwell on and think about and, and work through a little bit, even the, today and maybe this week. He says, he says in verse 3, he says, the divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. 
Otherwise, God, as the Holy Spirit has entered our life and my life and your life, he has given us everything we need if we are to mature and, 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 and live a life that's pleasing to him and a life that's godly. And part of that is it gives us a strength to, to, to overcome things that we never thought we could ever overcome. Do you realize that God has placed his divine power in your life so that you can become victorious over sin and the things of this world? And so he first of all says, don't, don't, don't forget you have this divine power. And, and then secondly, in verse four, he says, he has given us this very great and precious promises. I, I came across a guy the other day who said there's about 7,400 promises in Scripture. And each of those promises, you as a believer, can claim and, and apply and live out and live in expectation and hope for. So he says, he says as you start to consider your journey into maturity, remember two things. God's power is working through you and with you and, and that, that God has made promises over your life and in your life that he will fulfill. He ends verse 4 by making two interesting comments. He says, he says first of all, uh, you may participate in this divine nature. Otherwise, you actually are going to be tra transformed or changed into, a, into an image of who Jesus Christ is. I'll give you a verse later about that. But, but, but what he says is you are going to be changed. As you mature, as you depend on God's power, as you, as you experience the fulfillment of his promises in your life, you will be transformed. You're not going to be the same person you are. You're going to be better. You're going to be greater. You're going to be stronger in your faith. You're going to be deeper in your, in your understanding of, of not only God's truth, but the way the world is. You'll see it through eyes that you've never seen it before. And then he says, secondly, he says, and you'll escape the corruptions of this world. Are you seeing the sin around you? Are, are, are you seeing the lies that are perpetuated all, all over the place? In fact, there are days I, I will listen to the news and I'll think, well, what is the truth? Like, like what, what, what is happening in this world that literally you can actually believe as being true? God will help you discern that. So with that, he starts to put together um, what you and I would, would call a, a staircase or a, a steps. He, he, he looks at you and he says, this is what I want you to understand. You need to grow in your faith. And, and Peter, Peter says some really interesting things. He, he says, first of all, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Verse 8, he says, possessing these qualities increase in, in increasing measure. Otherwise, this is something that moves from a seed to a plant to a fruitful plant. Some of you are planting your gardens right now. And, you, and you're looking forward to, to the time that suddenly those little tomatoes, those little red ones that are tasting like honey, you, they're going to be, and you're going to pick them off and eat them. I, I actually have two Saskatoon bushes in my garden, and, and Lois can worry about all the rest of the stuff in the garden, but I can't wait till the Saskatoons are ready. Peter's saying, I want you to know this. You need to take effort. You need to discipline yourself. You need to walk in, in, in step with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to apply personally what's going on. 
You see, some people have this idea that God says he's going to magically sprinkle you with this pixie dust and, and, and you'll be changed. No, 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 no. You are to walk with him. Listen to him. Apply what he says and then you will become like him. It's interesting to watch how he came to this earth. He could have gone right to the cross if it was all, all about just forgiveness of sin, but he didn't. He, he came and he walked with his disciples for three years, teaching them, walking with them, giving them examples, and then calling them to do things. There's times he would send his disciples out to heal the sick and cast out demons and all that. They'd never done anything like that before, but they'd watched him, they'd learned from him, and then they stepped out in faith. He calls you to do the same thing. Make every effort to add to your faith. Once he's done, you've done that, he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start adding steps in your life or stages in your life. It's almost like a strategy he answered. He says, so how should I grow? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? And, and Peter gives us seven examples or seven steps to walk up. And I suggest, I'm going to suggest to you this morning, they seem to be progressive. I, I remember years ago reading through Second Peter and it was like, there's all this list of stuff and like, did he just kind of pull these out of the air and where did they come from and how do they relate? And, and as I've been studying intensely, I, I see they're built on one another. He, now, there's words he uses. One of the words is he, he says, he says you, you build it all on the foundation of faith and you start with learning goodness. Then as you learn goodness, then you add to it knowledge. As you add to your knowledge, then you develop self-control. As that self-control gets more, you, you get perseverance. As that perseverance, then he adds a word called godliness. As he, as he does, he adds a word kindness or brotherly kindness. And at the top of it is the word love. And there seems to be these stages or steps that he wants us to increase in. The end result is spoken of in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that you will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That when we come, he comes, we shall see him and we will look at ourselves and we will see we have become like him. We will have the character and the anointing and the presence of Jesus in our life that we didn't even see grow until we suddenly saw him in our presence. Are you willing to increase your faith and your walk day by day? Now here's the hard news. It's going to take work. There's a story by a man named R.A. Torrey. Now, if you're out of church history stuff, you'll know that name. If not, he was a famous preacher. And, and he was one of these guys that had his international ministry. He was Bible teaching preacher. Great, great teacher. And you, you can literally buy his books nowadays of his old sermons and stuff. He, he tells about one day a, a young pastor came into his office. And the young pastor came in and, 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 and just sat down kind of dejected and, and, and kind of hopeless. And he said, he said, you know what? When I was a kid, I grew up in the church. 
And, and when I was a young man, I had this sense of God's call on my life that I should enter ministry. And, and I wrestled with it, and, and then, and then I, 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 I gave my heart fully to Jesus, and I went off and trained in Bible school and trained in seminary. And he says, he says then, then I, I, I was called to a church, and I started to pastor in that church. He says, he says I, I just don't understand what's happened. He says, he says I'll take my Bible, and it's... He says, I read it, but it's like dust. It, it, it's dry, and it's dead, and there's no life in it. He says, I, I, I've been thinking I should quit ministry. I should, I should just quit it all. In fact, I, I'm not even sure I want to continue being a Christian. And, and you see this wrestling and the doubts and all of this stuff going in, inside this young man's heart and life. R.A. Tory looks at him and says, I... I can help you, but you have to commit yourself to doing something. And the young man says, so what do you want me to do? He says, I, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be a lot of work. What are you going to ask me to do? He says, have you ever read Second Peter? Oh, maybe, I guess. He says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to read Second Peter. Every day, 12 times a day. Now, there's only three chapters, and you can read it in a, in a short amount of time, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up in the morning, and you and your wife sit down on the couch, and before you go to work or do anything else, I want you to read through Second Peter four times. Four times? Yeah, I want you to read it four, four times. Then you come home at lunch. After you've had lunch, you sit down on the couch again, and you read it four more times. Four times, yeah. And, and then at night, before you guys go to bed, I want you to read another four times. And I want you to do it every day for one month. Every day? Like, why? Just see what happens. And so this young man went home, and him and his wife committed to doing this thing. He was quite skeptical. He was quite, ah, oh, it's going to make any difference. But they started reading. And they went over Peter's teaching again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And something started happening. The, the, this deadness inside of him started to come to life. And he started to feel connected to God in a way that he had never felt connected to God before. And, and he started to change his life as he started to take Peter's teaching and, and application and, and all of that. And, and, and he started to be transformed. And by the end of the month, he said, he says, I am absolutely, I am passionate for Jesus. I am passionate for the word. I am passionate for God's people. I am passionate for evangelism. He says, he says God has absolutely transformed me by this one simple thing. I was reading that and I thought, I wonder how many people today would put in the work to experience God's transforming power in their life. I wonder how many. So Peter takes these things, these seven truths, and he says, this is what I want you to work at. I want you to apply to your life and my life. 
And he he walks you through it. And let me just walk you through the seven steps so that you can see how they build and how one one comes out of the other and and goes on. First of all, there's a foundation of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is, is God. I believe that he came. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he's on the throne in heaven and reigning about. I believe him as Savior and Lord. That's foundation. With that... Peter says, the next thing you start to focus on with that established is you start to talk about goodness. What does he mean by goodness? Well, that Greek word can be uh, translated virtue in some of your translations. Others, it can be moral excellence. It's, it's, It's the idea of recognizing that I have to bring my life together and I have to put aside certain practices that I know are unrighteous and certain patterns of, of way of relating that I know are un- unhealthy. I need to set those aside and I start to live in a way that God says is good and right and moral and ethical and virtuous. It, it's, it's an inventory. It's, it's, it's looking at and saying, I'm going to change how I live. Now, for some of you, that will be a profound statement. It will be, I am changing how I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to start living in a way that God is pleased with. And Peter says, that's the place you start. And you start to live this way. Starting to put aside sins. Starting to put, put in, in place at good, godly, righteous practices. You come to church. You, 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 you read your Bible. You pray. Uh, you, you give. All of those kind of things. Start those things. Start to take those outer things that you know you need to get rid of or you know you need to add and you start that place. After that's established, then he says, then you start to add knowledge. Now, knowledge is a big word in Scripture. But let me tell you about this knowledge that he, Peter is talking about versus the knowledge in our world. We live in a world that wants to know facts and information and, 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 and ideas and all of that thing, but we don't do anything with them. Well, how does that work? And wh- wh- why do they believe that? And, 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 and we're kind of intrigued with stuff, but it doesn't change anything. That's not the knowledge he's talking about. He's talking about experiential knowledge. He's talking about knowledge that, 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 that is wise, that moves beyond thinking to doing. So I need to understand, and the Jewish had this concept. They said, they said, you haven't really understood something until you've applied it to your life. And so as you start to read scripture, you, you come up against verses and, and say, well, how do, how do I do that? And how do I live that? And, and, and what does God say about that? And you start to grow in your understanding, but it's an understanding that has application. And so you put aside things in your life that are ungodly. You add things in your life that are good. And then you start to grow in your understanding and application of that understanding. Out of that will come self-control. Self-control is, is that ability to discipline yourself. I came across a definition the other, the other day. A guy says this. He says, self-control is inner strength controlling one's desires. Do you think we live in a world where people don't care to discipline their desires? If I want it, if I like it, if I lust after it, I'll have it. 
Peter's saying, I want you to take the desires and, and as, as you're learning how to live rightly and understanding it through the scripture, you will start to see things that, that, that you need to discipline yourself. That's a desire that keeps coming up in my life. I have to investigate, Lord, why, why do I think that way or why do I feel that way? But I don't have to do that sin. Are there desires that you can put aside? I grew up, and most of you know this story, I, I grew up as a, as a grandson to an alcoholic, an abusive alcoholic. My father's father was incredibly abusive. The only picture I have of my grandfather is a story my dad told of one day grandpa came home so drunk that my dad, being the oldest son, had to throw his dad out of the house. That's my picture. So I'm a very aware of addiction. I'm a very aware of, of those desires in our world that, that draw us and pull us. And I realize when I'm aware of addictions how weak I sometimes feel I am. Do you feel that way? Paul, Peter says the next step is to control those feelings, those desires, and give in to that which is holy and restrain from that which is unholy. See a growth starting to happen? Goodness to knowledge to self-control. And out of that comes perseverance. Steadfast is one of the words the Bible used. It's that idea that I am going to stick with this lifestyle, this discipline, no matter what. And, and it, it focuses on the whole reality that that. that that we will be tested from the outside. People are going to check you. They're going to ask you, are, you know, why are you doing that? Like, why can't you come with us and do, do whatever we want? And, and, and the question is, can I persevere? Can I daily keep this commitment that I have committed myself to? And then out of that comes godliness, piety, devotion to God. These practices will change your heart and change your mind. So you start thinking like Jesus thinks and, and, and seeing things as God sees them. And suddenly you're going to see this world in an absolutely different way. You're going to see the darkness and you're going to see the sin. You're going to see the deceitfulness of man's heart. But you're going to also see how God is moving in a mighty way. You will literally see God miraculously working in individuals' lives. And out of that godliness will come a response. Some of your translations say the word kindness. Others of them say brotherly affection. Actually, it's a Greek word called philio. If you went back to John chapter 20, this is the time when Peter is confronted by Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then at the Sea of Galilee, Peter is, meets with Jesus and, and Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? One of those words that he uses for love, it's a Greek word called philio. It's, it's a brotherly love. It's, it's the love that if you go back to the Old Testament, David and Jonathan had this, this love for a brother. And what you'll start to find is as these things start to grow in your life, you will start to connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your, your, the community, the, the church, the, the body of Christ, the people of God, the, 
citizens of heaven. And then you will have one other aspect called agape love. This is the highest word for love in the world. Remember God is described as love? This is what that means. It's unconditional love. It's, it's I, I, I'm not loving you because I'm getting back from you. I'm not loving you because you've given me something. It's loving you unconditionally. I'm just loving you because you are lovable. If you start to deal with people in agape love, you will not only transform your life, but their life. Now look at how Peter has built this. He started by saying, I want you to do an inventory and start to live a good life. Then I want you to grow in your understanding and your knowledge of God's holy word, what's right and what's wrong. Then I want you to start to apply it and put away sin and add spiritual practices that are godly. And, And then I want you to persevere. I want you to keep on keeping on And out of that will come a godliness, a holiness, a piety, a righteousness. And and, and that will affect how you care for your brothers and how you love others. And you will be transformed. As, As you look at this, Peter makes an interesting comment. One of the things I've noticed about Peter is an intensive writer. Like you, you got to visit the word chapters and verses again and again and see how he pulls it all together. Quite intensive because what he does is he says, he says, if you possess these qualities, you'll be victorious. But if you don't, you will live a life that's ineffective and unproductive. Those words are fascinating words. Do you think you're living a life that's effective or ineffective? Do you think you're living a life that's productive or personally unproductive? Peter says, if you keep these things, you will live a productive life, but if you don't, it'll be a life of no value. We live in a world where people are living a life of no value. You don't have to be that person. He also says in in verse 9, he says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sin. Isn't that an interesting comment? If you don't apply scripture, if you don't live out scripture, it's as if you're spiritually blind and your brain has forgotten what Jesus has done for you. You're not living holy. Holy. I I look at people all over that will tell me, yeah, I was brought up in the church, or yeah, I used to go to church. And and, and the reality is something's happened that they can't no longer see or no longer understand who Jesus is and what he's done. But Peter says, if you apply these principles to your life, you will be changed. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Now, that's an interesting comment. Some people even here today are worried about this whole journey, spiritual journey. Well, I, I want to commit to Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to I, I be faithful to Jesus. But what if I screw up? What, what? And, and, and Peter says, if you start applying these seven truths to your life, you won't. Oh, you'll make mistakes. Oh, you'll stumble once in a while, but you'll never, ever fall away from your faith. 
he ends up with these words. He concludes with these words. He says this, therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Do you realize that God has a calling on your life? That he has set you apart and called you out? That you are the same as David and Paul and Peter? And I could just go on with others in Scripture. He knows you by name. He knows what he has given you as giftings and anointing. He calls you to this deeper faith, and he has a ministry and a place for you. Election is about being chosen. He's called you, and he's chosen you. Do you know that about your life? Peter starts off with these amazing words. He says, he says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, this is what it means to be saved. And now in chapter 1 of, of, of 2 Peter, he says, and this is what it means to grow. This will be critical because as we start looking at false teaching and, and false teachers, if the first is established, you will never fall for false teaching or false teachers. So he's starting off with the protection of who you are. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for me, with me? Maybe this morning God has been speaking in your life. You've grown up in a church, you've accepted Jesus, and, and it's, that's where it's kind of ended. And, and Jesus is saying to you, he's saying, I want you to go deeper and further with me. I want you to recognize my calling and my choosing of you even this day. And I want you to commit to growing. Growing in your faith, growing in your walk, growing in your salvation. Heavenly Father, we are a people who sometimes don't recognize the incredible wonder of your calling in our life. Peter knows us. He knows our weaknesses and failings and fumblings but he also knows our potential. And today, Lord, as our potential spiritually is being called forward, may we be a people who respond and commit and seek to grow. Lord, we're not gonna win every day, but we're also not gonna lose every day if we depend on your power and your promises. I ask all this in Jesus' name.